of the Westminster's court when his case was heard on March 30th, but his solicitor, Mike Kelleher, was. No plea was entered and the case was adjourned until April 13th for a plea hearing. This was in order for Edmondson to prove he had completed a Covid test. The police are appealing for information after a public order incident in Pembroke Dock last Sunday on March 28th. The incident occurred at approximately 3 o'clock at London Road. Any witnesses or anyone with any information relating to the offence is asked to contact PC 172 Brown at Pembroke Dock Police Station on 0845 330 Local health chiefs say they are operating a COVID-19 vaccine reserve list to ensure that none of them are wasted. Roz Jervis, director at Heweldar University Health Board, has said that coronavirus jabs not taken up would be offered to care home, health and social care staff rather than being thrown away. Her comments came after NHS leaders urged people to attend vaccine appointments after hundreds failed to show up for their jabs in some areas of Wales. In the Swansea Bay area, almost 500 people did not attend on Monday while at a mass vaccination centre in Bangor almost 200 people failed to show up over a three day period. Responding to the reports, Miss Jervis said at the start of the vaccine programme we saw very few DNAs that did not attend. As expected as we move through the priority groups, DNA rates have increased a little and vary significantly between mass vaccination centres. To ensure that no vaccine is ever wasted we currently operate a reserve list for care home, health and social care staff in priority groups 1 and 2 who, for any reason, missed their initial opportunities for vaccination, including new staff. The Welsh Government have said they are investigating reports of people not attending their appointments. Sport Pembrokeshire and Pembrokeshire Leisure have released a survey about the current period and the future of sport under lockdown. The survey questions people's thoughts on participating in sport as lockdown restrictions ease and aims to help support people to be more active during lockdown and beyond. People's current amount of physical exercise is questioned along with the intention to conduct more or less exercise once restrictions are eased. Sport Pembrokeshire and Pembrokeshire Leisure say your involvement is really helpful for understanding the attitudes and behaviours towards physical activity during this period of government imposed lockdown in response to the pandemic. I am Charlie James and you're up to date on Pure West Radio. This is Pure West Radio. Across Pembrokeshire, 24 hours a day. Easter Monday and this is Pure West Sport with G&G Builders. It's the second half and as always we've got plenty to get through between now and nine o'clock with Bill Kahn, Gordon Thomas and Fraser Watson. Bill, happy Easter, how are you? Same same to you Ben, thanks. Yes, had a nice uh, weekend, enjoyed our little grandson coming down for the first time in six months. So yeah, cracking weekend and uh, yeah, really enjoyed it, thanks. Gordon's a fan of chocolate. He's already told us that off air. So happy Easter to you, Gordon. Thank you, Ben. I was actually born on an Easter Sunday. Okay, maybe that explains it. And Fraser Watson, <laughs> happy Easter to you. Yeah, very happy strange. Happy Easter to you. 
very strange weekend. I'm sure the three of you will perhaps agree, and especially you know with Bill and Gordon, it usually be a big sporting weekend in Pembrokeshire. We'd be out covering, and and to do so little for a few days is. It's been nice in one way, but I wouldn't want too many more of them. I think that's where we should start, actually, the show this evening, this part of the show, but by talking about Easter, because you're right, Fraser, it used to be, and it normally is, a, a big weekend for sport in Pembroke and, and everywhere. They, they always say, you know, that the football, the Premier League table sorts itself, itself out over Easter. You get a good idea who's going to finish where in the table. Um, but it was always a time where there'd be plenty of sport across the weekend. Um, Bill, let's start with you. What, what would be your Easter sporting memory? Memories in Pembrokeshire? Oh, there were some great rugby, some good football, local derbies and things. But my favourite always, I still love the lid step point to point, was to go to that, watch the races, have a couple of uh, bets, and, and most importantly of all, perhaps get treated to a nice meal in the big posh uh, marquee that was there. I used to go with Colin Kayaks, who Gordon knows that was a, a, a former sports editor of the Western Telegraph. Uh, West was Guardian, sorry. And we went yeah. to one and it was a qualifier for the Massey Ferguson Gold Cup. And uh, we got in, this, we blagged our way into this, the uh, big tent on the assumption we were working there when we weren't. And with five minutes to go before the race and rushes, uh, a lady to say their official photographer hadn't turned up when we take the photographs. Colin didn't even have a photograph camera with him. <laughs> so that was a bit scary. I don't mind admitting we were talking about running away or just confessing. Luckily, the fella turned up just before the qualifier. And we always had harem, scare him, stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Gordon, I, I don't know what your memories of, of Lidstep point to point are. I, I went a couple of times and my big memory, brilliant, always a great afternoon. It was always cold and always windy mm. when you went to point to point at Lidstep. Yeah, it was a great afternoon's entertainment, to be honest with you. And when Bill was there, he probably watched Carl Thewellin ride in, who went on to win the Grand yeah. National. Yeah. Uh, so they, they produced some really good jockeys over the years, but it's a real family tradition on uh, the Easter weekend to go to Lidstep and watch the races, and it's really enjoyable afternoon. Fraser? Yeah, well, I would get too repetitive here, but yeah, my, my parents... His memories of racing was them taking me and my brother up to Lidstep that day. And it was, the, it was the first kind of introduction to any kind of betting I had. We didn't deal in big money in those days. It was 50p here or a pound there. And it was the name of the horse and not the form what she went by. But no, my abiding memory was certainly the, uh, as a youngster playing the St. David's Fish Guard, Seagulls Cup games on Easter Monday. And, and things were very different back in those days. Teams would play a league game on a Saturday. They'd usually have a session on a Sunday. I remember being a young lad walk, walking past, not going in, walking past the pub one Sunday and all the boys I was playing with the next day were all there outside, you know, and uh, I remember playing one particular year against Fishguard, particularly a uh, brutal, bloody game. Um, I won't mention any of the uh, instigators, but, but Jack Dudley's wasn't far away from the main incident, but um, no, we, we had a great battle with them. And then the theory with the boys afterwards as well. We'll have that many pints before a game every week because we play a lot better. So um, mm. <laughs> the mentality was different. But, you know, those, they were big days. We spoke about derbies recently. There were big crowds and lots of noise. And, and it was a great feeling and atmosphere in the clubhouse afterwards. And unfortunately, you don't get that now because the teams are so far apart in terms of standards. But, yeah, that was, that was a great memory of Easter, Easter Monday growing up. Bill? Yeah, the other special thing about Lidstep was the people you met, Gordon, will know. We've been there. Yeah, the characters you met, you know, the Matthias's, uh, John Matthias and his dad, then Richard, all sorts of people, Dennis Reed, some of the horses were top class, but it was the local farmers, the guys that went along in their Sunday best suits and brown shoes. <laughs> and uh, there was always someone to talk to there. There was always little instances like the bookmakers with the stingiest there. But I once 
put a bet on her where they were three joint favourites in a in a field of about five. Is that because they didn't have a clue? Really, they didn't know. <laughs> well, they were just making sure they weren't going to go away with uh, giving away too much money, you know. Because sometimes the, the sort of horse that you'd expect to win was a very hot favourite there. But but great. And the other thing, of course, Fraser's mentioned now the Seagulls Cup. You know, uh, Gordon played for Harvard West against Langham in the Bishop Cup. That was two legs, always Boxing Day and Easter. And those games, I mean, in the 50s, Langham reigned supreme. Halford West were there for many years then. But I can remember one game where Gordon, I think, was his birthday, but he he was involved the last time that Langham won it. And I got roped in to write a poem for their dinner called I Was There with the Langham Boys. And uh, they asked could they have a copy, and I give them a copy, and they were selling it for two quid a time once they printed it out in the clubhouse. But Gordon would tell you about some of the characters in both teams there. Yeah, come on, Gordon, tell us about this. Bill was watching, yeah, you were playing. I remember that particular day really well. Bill, on my 27th birthday, it was only a couple of years ago. <laughs> and we were playing at uh, Merlin's Bridge. We had only just moved to uh, the Merlin's Bridge home from Fishguard Road Day. So um, we were playing on the second team pitch, which had a bit of a slope. And I do recall actually scoring a try in the first half and thinking, oh, things are going really well, yeah. But uh, I, I have to applaud. Uh, Mackie was playing uh, McClelland. Alan McClelland was playing fly half for Langham that particular day. And I remember the boy Dooley who went on to play for... Dave, Dave Dooley, the outstanding, yeah. outstanding game at back row forward. Gwangi was playing as well, Ian Thomas and his brother Blackthorns. Uh, they were... You know, they were up for it that particular day and they, they certainly deserved their victory. So I, I couldn't really deny them one victory. I only ever lost against them once, so I, I, I can't really deny them that particular victory. <laughs> yeah, you only played against them twice. You were playing <laughs> up the line. <laughs> and did you describe, how did you report on Gordon's try, Bill, in that game? Are you writing a match uh, report? Outstanding. A fine-looking young centre, super fit, super good-looking. <laughs> The funniest thing was, he's just saying about Guanji and Blackthorns and things. Nobody had names. They were all nicknames. Yeah, everybody, yeah. Crutch, yeah. Blackthorn, well, Guanji. Yeah, they were all sorts of I spoke to their coach once, Peter Roberts, about it. And I said, can you give me a team? And he says, yeah, front row, uh, Blackthorns, so and so, to Crutch. I said, can you give me their names? Oh, bloody hell, he said, I don't know their names. <laughs> And that's how it was. They were great characters on both sides. On both well, sides. I, I can tell you that philosophy stuck with some of those Langham boys. Bill. Oh, so yeah. Never forget one of the first times I asked Alan McLennan for his Milford team and I asked him the props. He said pies and pasties. And I said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> what, what were their actual names? So he said, oh, I don't know. He's whipping yeah. pies to me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a bit like Christmas, though, isn't it? You, you all say, um, you, you know, there was always good crowds and a good atmosphere because it, it was yeah. like the, the Christmas period where you'd always get a decent crowd in on Boxing Day. Would that be the same in Pembrokeshire on an Easter Monday or an Easter mm. Saturday? You get yeah. people maybe from away coming down to see family and it would become quite a special time of year to go and watch some local sport and cheer on the local team. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of those traditions have gone. Yeah. Luckily, the half West Langham do play every boxing day, but they don't play twice a season now. Uh, and all the other derbies are all gone as well. It's a really sad state of affairs because it's great having family and friends there to, uh, you know, enjoy the rugby and have a couple of pints and socialise after. Phrasing. I think rugby in particular, it, it's something that has been lost since the league, you know, went into the national setup. You know, for example, 
the, these Saturday Monday games where, like everyone said, every, we said if it was good weather, you get big crowds. Everyone's willing to go, but now mm. of course, you might be going to the Mumbles on an Easter Monday or something like yeah. that. I remember getting a call from Fishguard a couple of years ago to ask if I'd pay on permit for them. They were going to, I don't remember where it was somewhere like Gorsinan because it was Easter Monday. They didn't have many boys who wanted to travel, and and that's not the idea of it. You know, that, that's the romance of it is all gone there, and fortunately, mm. that, that has something we've lost in, in terms of local rugby in particular. Yeah, I think it's fair to say you know Gordon could probably tell you numbers, but the games with Langham and Haverford West, the, the crowds were huge. Mm-hmm. And they got right the way oh, around. They were really big crowds. Absolutely massive. Uh, I remember going as a young lad with my dad, you know, it was a tradition to go to the Langham Haverford West game. And there would be four, three or four deep around the ground in Fishguard Road uh, when I was there. And uh, it, they were great occasions. And uh, there was a lot of banter going on as well, I can tell you that. And there was a, a lot of beer drunk in the, the clubhouse after as well. And serious point there, isn't it? it, it they'd be quite good money spinners for the clubs. We, we oh, said the yeah, same yeah. at Christmas, but oh, oh, it, yeah. it would be a big weekend. And, and that's something that we'll be missing this year in particular because of the fact we've got the COVID regulations in place. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's going to have a profound effect on all sports, unfortunately. But, and social events as well. You know you, you know yourself from running events quite often as a central place to go back to afterwards. And, and it's nice because... You know, certainly down here, you get to speak to the runners, many who have come away and have got great stories to tell. Sometimes 55, 60-year-old marathon runners who have run in events all over the world. And that is something that we've lost this past year. And it's going to be a good while before it comes back, unfortunately. Yeah, it will be really good to see. All right. That's a great way to start this hour. Looking back on some Easter memories of sport in Pembrokeshire, we are going to have a look at the latest news on the start of the Pembrokeshire cricket season and also a bit of a look ahead to what could happen in the Ashes as well. That's all to come on Pure West Sport. The Valero Community Update on Pure West Radio keeps you updated with the various projects Valero are supporting in Pembrokeshire from sports clubs, schools, charities and musicians to members of staff from Valero who volunteer their time. We hear about the latest community projects Valero do to support our community on the last Wednesday of every month at 9.30am and 5.30pm, only on Pure West Radio. If you miss it, catch up on the podcast at purewestradio.com. The Valero Community Update. Ah, enemy ahead. Fire. Where? I can't see them. Right there. Oh man, you missed again. You need to get your eyes tested. Nah mate, I ain't got the cash for that. You're in college. You can get an eye test for free. Really? From where? I'm with Mags Optics. They're in the Riverside Arcade in Halford West. Sick. I'll check it out. Eye tests are free for children under 16 and those aged 16 to 18 who are in full-time education. Glasses up to £85 are free for students aged 18 and under with an NHS voucher. Call Paul, Tina and the team on 01437 767744 or go to magsoptics.co.uk to book an appointment. Mags Optics are the proud sponsors of The Gaming Show on Pure West Radio. At KO Carpets, you know quality is assured. We've been your local family-run business for over 40 years. We're widely recognised as Pembrokes' leading supplier of domestic and contract flooring. We provide full end-to-end service, free measures and estimates, free delivery and free fitting by our professional team of highly skilled fitters. Come and see us at Vine Road, Johnston, or drop us an email, sales at kocarpets.com. We're a knockout at flooring. 
Follow Pure West Radio on Facebook. Wait a second. Search for Pure West Radio. Tastes like strawberries on a summer evening. And it sounds just like a song. I want more berries and that summer feeling. It's so wonderful and warm. Breathe me in, breathe me out. I don't Pure West Sport for Monday evening with G&G Builders. Find out more at pembrokeshirebuilders.co.uk. It's Easter Monday and plenty of topics to get through. And we're going to talk cricket right now on the show because there have been some uh, developments in terms of the start of the cricket season in Pembrokeshire. It's going to be April the 25th. And Fraser, you're going to explain what's happened here. Yes, we've been waiting rated breath for a long time, haven't we? see when that outdoor activities with a, a maximum of 30 people are allowed to get going because obviously we knew the date for the cricket season Sunday the April the 25th was looming near well the announcement has was confirmed well it was leaked late last night and confirmed today that it won't be until bank holiday Monday May the 3rd that those provisions are allowed which of course would rule out the first two set of cricket games now the assumption was that we'd use two Sundays in September but that would have brought its own complications because one of those Sundays with Clash with Ironman Wales and 
we still don't know what's ha happening surrounding that event yet as well either so the announcement has come today that the opening Pembroke County cricket game of the league games of the season that were set for April 25th are now moved to Bank Holiday Monday, May the 3rd, which is the first day they could technically be paid. And the second set of games, which would have taken place on May the 1st, have been moved to the second May Bank Holiday, which is actually Monday the 31st. So we're actually going back in time a bit, as I'm sure Bill will relate to, and we're using the two Bank Holiday Mondays in the season to make sure that everything's finished on time. Um, thank you, Fraser. I think we all kept up there with the date changes. You did a good job of that. Um, Bill, was this something that was always going to be inevitable? I think you, you did fear, and we said on the show, didn't we, that 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 date of April the 25th just didn't give enough preparation time with the Welsh Assembly Government announcements. No, I think they're erring on the side of caution, and I can understand that. Although, in terms of sport, I think it's the least dangerous sport to be involved in. Uh, over that period for players and spectators, Ben. I understand why they're doing it, but, you know, and I know every player's going to be handling a ball, so there is a risk. But I think they've erred on the side of caution. Pembrokeshire in particular showed last year that the responsibility was taken very seriously by clubs and the games. There wasn't one COVID-related issue in all the games that were played in Pembrokeshire. So I'm sad about it, but then there's a part of me that says... I want everybody to be safe. It means we're starting a bit late. We're still getting a full season of cricket. That's what's important to me. I want to see people mm. playing cricket and getting the pleasure that I had when I played. And, and you know, it's important we do that. So I, I'm disappointed, but not sort of surprised, if I'm honest. Yeah, it, it's obviously disappointing they can't hit the April the 25th start, yeah. Gordon. But the, the, the good news is that, that we know when it's going to start now, all, all being well with coronavirus cases. And actually, that Maybank holiday could be quite an interesting weekend for it to start in terms of people being able to go and watch some local cricket as well. Yeah, that is the other concern. Are people going to be allowed to watch cricket as well? I don't know what the guidelines are going to be, but no, I think with a bit of common sense, they could, could, could control that and do it quite easily. Uh, I mean, last year it, it worked really well, to be fair, and it was only yeah. cup cricket they got through. And as Bill say, the, uh, the Pembroke County Cricket Club and all the affiliated clubs are to, to be applauded for uh, getting through the, that particular season with a lot of difficulties. The other thing that really concerns me is there's not going to be any tees again. So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it's going to be very difficult going around with Mr. Khan and him being a bit hangry, Peckish. I should say. Hangry. You know, wanting his tea on a, on a Saturday afternoon. How are you going to manage, Bill? Are you going to bring uh, something... From Marilyn or Gordon, I'll do the same as we've done for twenty years. You yeah, won't buy an ice cream. Ben, he's never bought me an ice cream or a coffee. Oh, he has bought me one coffee. Freezer always pays his way. I think I will supply you with supply you with a beef roll and a cup of coffee every week, and we'll watch the cricket. And wouldn't it be great, God, to get back out there and talk to people and walk around the boundaries? I mean, I have to laugh. You know, we still say about will spectators be able to watch. Try yeah. telling them you have it west when they can sit on a veranda and have a pint. Tell them on uh, at St. Ishmael's where the, the path to the coast, the coastal path, runs parallel with the cricket uh, pitch and other yeah. places like that where, you know, they, they can't stop people watching. And I think it's just a need for caution and care by everybody. Mm. Don't sit on a boundary with 10 people drinking beer, mm. but just if you can get the chance to watch, watch, but play. Freeze, you can't wait to start. You know, to play, to get out there and just enjoy the game. 
Oh, absolutely, Bill. And I don't think for once you'll have any grumbles about the double header on the bank holiday weekends because people no. have been out without it for so long. I like to think that'll have a, a, a positive effect now and people will be happy to cram things in just for the sake of getting a full season played, as you said before. I do have to laugh about one thing, the fact that you can sit outside pubs um, the week before that you're able to do outdoor sporting activities. <laughs> I think that was a bit of a funny time. So I have proposed to my team, we're due to go to Stackpole away on the opening day. The pitch won't be open, but the pub will. So I, I suppose <laughs> we still go for a 140 start. You uh, might win that one then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I wouldn't, but... <laughs> Fraser, you're, you are under a bit of pressure this season. There's no doubt about it because you've got a radio show now and Bill and Gordon will be following your, your progress, well, your individual season very closely. You know that. <laughs> well, I, I, this is what I'm going to have to tell the captain as well. You know, that I um, need to get these wins done and dusted quickly on these two Mondays because I've got a show to get back to. <laughs> Quite right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, might, I might even have to open so I can get out and get back to work. <laughs> Bill and Gordon can no, come you'd, back. You'd, hey, hang on. You'll back like you did. Ben, in my, in my on the website, <laughs> uh, there's an article there about Fraser Watson, which he told me himself. The man, he once played in a game where he opened a bat in and carried his bat throughout the innings and mm -hmm. finished with how many phrases? Tell him. Not. Not out. Not not out. out. So yeah. One week when we got a spare half hour, he can tell us about that. And the next day, he was not not out as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I stood at I stood at the other end while a bunch of jokers were bowled out for twenty essentially, oh. <laughs> and you you were the glue. You held the innings together, Fraser, yeah. as well. Yeah, well, I, you I, only I faced twenty three balls. I think I faced about. I didn't face too many balls. I played and missed a couple. I, I was probably lucky to survive, but then. In the pub that night, I was very boastful about the fact that I was uh, last man standing while everyone else had let me down. That sounds a, a typically stubborn innings, Fraser. Well done on no, that. Yeah. No, I've, I've had better trips to hook, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're looking forward to that. Despite the change, it will be really good to get cricket back. And I imagine in terms of people watching, will it not be the, the, the outside rules as they are? So it could be rule of six or, or, or that type of thing. Will, will, will people not just have to respect those Look, regulations? It, it, It'll be a rule which will be open to be exposed. We all saw that last summer, and as long as people aren't stupid about it and mm. don't cross into the grounds they're not supposed to, then it's okay. But I'm going to throw a slightly different angle on this, boys, and I want your thoughts on you. We, we went for our favourites a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And we all universally agreed it was Nayland. Now, I still think Nayland for the same reasons. I think the way things have panned out could be a bit of a leveller. One of the reasons Nayland are so good is they're so better prepared than anyone else. You know, they spend the winter training. They're playing indoor cricket usually up until February, March, and a high standard of it as well in, in national finals. They haven't had any of that this year. Now, there's very limited net sessions that can go on. But as things have worked out, the opening day of the season is literally going to be the first time everyone is going to be able to play a game of cricket. There'll be no friendlies beforehand. Mm -hmm. And I, you're then taking away one of their key aspects in Aiden season, that's their preparation. Now, I still think because of the lineup they have, that they will be favourites, but I do think it could also bring the, the league a lot closer together. And, and the irony is here, that the teams who are often the best prepared might not go in with the usual advantage they do. Mm -hmm. Bill? Yeah, if you believe that's... that, Fraser, you believe anything, mm. mate. Well, I try to tell myself <laughs> that because we usually go in at about 24 hours notice. But mm. I, I, I do think it could be some sort of factor. I, I, I think it's... Yeah. Oh, carry on. So I think it's fair to say that Nayland will be very well prepared with nets and workouts. And and so will one or two others. I think Criselli this year are going to be well prepared uh, for the start of the season. Kero traditionally are. Hanford yeah. West normally you'll be interested to see. Those sides are going to be prepared. There'll be others who'll just turn up the first day and 
just enjoy a bit of banging the ball about and have a few pints after. So uh, that's Premiership cricket, isn't it? So, Gordon, well, that, we might see some, just picking up on Fraser's point, we might see some interesting results in those opening few weekends, just as teams get their eye in. Yeah, possibly we will, but I, I still feel Nayland are the strongest team in, in the league. They're the ones to beat. Yeah, uh, Fraser's right. They probably won't be as prepared as what they are in uh, any other seasons for obvious reasons, because they've had no indoor league. And uh, But they're, they're, they're so strong throughout their, their lineup. Uh, and Bill's already said uh, the likes of Priscelli, Keiru, they'll be knocking on the door as well. So mm. we're all looking forward to having a bit of live sport to talk about. That's the most important thing. Yeah, In a couple be... of weeks, we'll be actually talking about games that have been going yes. on. And uh, we're all looking forward to that. Yeah. And I think and if... all the spectators who will go to the games are, are looking forward to get out to enjoy a little bit of cricket and uh, get a bit of normality back again. And if you want to see an example of the different mentalities at the end of the scale of Pembrokeshire cricket, boys, while the, uh, the top sides are lamenting the fact they can't have their nets and they're going to be delayed a couple of weeks, the farmer who oversees our ground rang me today absolutely delighted because he can keep the cows on it for an extra fortnight. <laughs> yeah. uh, Has okay, he put an extra one on the wicket to keep that down as well? Then? <laughs> well, I, I've seen worse on there. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, we are under a month. And who is, is removing the cow paths then, Fraser? Have you got that job, mate? I, I don't get involved in that, Gord. I do the admin as secretary. <laughs> Let's stick on the cricket theme for just a few more moments um, because one thing we're all looking forward to later on this year is the Ashes. And I just wonder what, what you uh, thought about this, actually, gents, because Steve Smith has said he would be keen to return as Australia captain if the national selectors wanted him. And you think there's something that could add a bit more spice to an Ashes series. It's the prospect of Steve Smith captaining Australia again. I've got some thoughts on this, but what do, what do you think? Gordon, could you see this happening? Well, of course it could happen. He's a, he is a tremendous cricketer, but uh, there's a lot of baggage that comes with Steve Smith at the moment, isn't there? You know, but um, it it wouldn't you know it wouldn't surprise me if he did come back. Whether he would be captain, I don't know. Um, the the cricket connoisseurs of Bill Khan and Fraser Watson will be able to uh, enlighten us now of yeah. what's actually going to happen. Bill. Well, I think I'm getting older because there was a time when I just said, no way should someone like Steve Smith who's a cheat, he's a proven cheat, should go back as captain. But there is the argument, I'm mellowing. He's done his time, he served the time for doing the crime, and if he, if the authorities think he wants to go back... I mean, I watch with interest every time this is raised and Mike Atherton uh, is involved. Mike Atherton cheated. At one time, he had a pocket full of topsoil, top and every time he had a chance, he would rub his hands and the ball all over, he'd rub his hands with it, the earth all over it to rough up one side. So what Atherton did was bad. He wasn't as bad as Smith. And he got punished for it, didn't he, Atherton? Let, let's be clear, what, he did. There, what, there, what, yeah. happened what, what happened there was a, there was. I think there was, he, there was a fine, I think, but there was a ball tampering incident with Mike Atherton. He still carried on. But he, he carried on. Yeah. He still carried on. And and we got to watch, we don't have dual standards in this country. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's Australia's business. If they think he represents Australian the good about Australia, they're entitled to pick him. I do feel sorry for him in one very tiny sense because I don't think he was the main protagonist in that. It was that little twerp Warner who opens the <laughs> batting, who is the most obnoxious little 
quicker than I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I think he was the main dealer in that. And I think Smith wasn't strong enough to say no. So I don't know. But in the end, if he's going to be captain, well, play the game, make sure he does it the right way. He, he's had a rough time. He's paid for what he did, that's mm. for sure. Uh, Fraser, Bill's just sat on the fence there. So, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm winding you up, Bill. <laughs> no, that, no. Was a, that was a very comprehensive answer, no doubt about it. Uh, and I'm, oh, I'm sorry. No, it was a great answer. I thought it was a great answer. And I'm interested what Fraser makes of this. Are you going to agree with Bill or are you going to take a different view here, Fraser? Look, it, it doesn't sit right with me and I'll explain why. <laughs> um, I've got no issue with him having served his ban and coming back. I think we've seen that with all sportsmen deserve some route to redemption within reason, depending on the crime, I suppose. But for me, the first step back to full redemption has got to be complete honesty about what went on. And to this day, we still haven't had complete honesty about it from Steve Smith. You know, we had the press conferences, we had the tears and everything. But him and David Warner, who Bill just mentioned, and indeed Cameron Bancroft, are still peddling the line. This was all hastily put together over a spot of lunch and only took part that afternoon. Now, the whole reason that South African cameras picked up on it in the first place, because they were noticing reverse swing throughout the course of a a number of test matches, which wasn't natural. All right. And they looked back and they went back through past videos and tape that was on hands and conversations. And it was obviously been a plan that was well-established and going for a long time, you know, and was eventually unearthed. So, look, had, had Steve Smith or even Warner or, or Bancroft or anyone come out, held their hands up and said, what we did was wrong, it went on for this amount of time, then, yeah, I and complete honesty and, and transparency about it, I'd have no issue with him coming back and being an Australian captain. I've got no issue in coming back and serve the ban and playing now. But the fact that he never was, it doesn't sit right with me that you come back into that role. I think it's interesting. I think he, you know, we, we accept that he plays in the team. So you, you have to say that if you, if you accept he plays in the team, then Australia have got every right to make him captain. Do I think they should? Probably not, because I, I think it sends the wrong message. I, I, I think it's a slightly different thing, but England are debating whether or not Alex Hales comes back into the one-day team. Um, and and I, I've heard him speak very recently, and I think think he probably does deserve another go with Smith I just think it's one thing having him in the side it's another making him captain and having that trust he should lead and if I was running Australian cricket I just think why would you want to go there again really definitely pick him I pick him every day of pick the week. him he's a talented Have, individual yeah. oh yeah and pick he, him Gordon you know Bill has already said he's done the crime and he's served his time. So we all have to move on. If I was Australia in their shoes, uh, I would readily pick him uh, for the for the games. But would no you make him too. captain? Would you? Do you think he should be well, leading the team? Well, that's entirely up for the Australians to, <laughs> to sit down and uh, discuss that. I mean, uh, as you say, uh, the little guy Warner was involved with uh, what was going on. Uh, he won. They weren't alone. They all knew what was going on in that did. particular team. He took the rap because he was captain. Simple as that. And he could go back there again. They've learned their lessons from it. But as a cricketer, Steve Smith is one of the best batsmen I've ever seen. He's alongside Ponting, an exceptional player. But should he lead the team? That that would be the I question. I just said, if you think yes. wanted to pick him as a captain, mm. he can captain the team. I, I think it's a different thing. Come on, Bill. Well, I just think we're great. I, at one time, I would have been stronger in my denials mm. than Fraser. But you look at sport, you know, I look at the cheating that goes on in football. Every blinking game now, people are cheating. They're training to cheat. And there's always sort of rumpuses over that. You know, when when a captain of a football team dives persistently and gets penalties, then they don't get dropped. In the end, 
It is entirely a matter for Australia. They've got to do what they think is right for them. There's no doubt he's one of the best batsmen in the world. His stance is wrong. His, his, <laughs> the way he plays some shots is dire for a coach. But by God, he can bat. And him, Coley and Root. Oh, for me, yeah. I, I was going <laughs> to... I was going to say he's an orthodox, it. Bill. I agree with you. He's yeah. an orthodox. I like the fact that Bill scores runs. Bill coaches Steve Smith in the same way he, he talks to you, Fraser, about your batting. So you should you should take yeah. that on the chin. No, Ailis, no, no, no. Steve, <laughs> Steve Smith plays the ball off his balanced foot. Fraser plays everything on the hop. <laughs> Listen, He's we, like a scalded bunny rabbit. We, we may well come back to this. And you mentioned about players cheating as well. And that's actually going to be part of our final topic this evening because yeah. we will have a look at VAR as well. Uh, we'll, we'll take a moment. We, we, we can carry this on if we need to as well. It is Monday evening. It's Easter Monday and it's Pure West Sport. Monday evening and this is our Easter Monday Pure West Sport and we, we had a good bit of debate there about the Steve Smith scenario I still I don't think we got a full unanimous view did we on, on whether or not he should be back captaining Australia in the ashes I, I'm still, we don't want unanimous views that's boring Ben no, I, I, exactly right I'm, I'm still a bit unsure I think Bill you, you're you're thinking that maybe now might be the time to forgive and Gordon is saying well just do it make him captain 
nothing to do with us. I don't want to be. I don't want to be agreeing with Fraser Watson or Gordon Thomas out of choice. But listen now, I, I think Fraser's been very, very, um, uh, you know, diplomatic, stuck, stuck in the mud with that. Really, it's up to it's up to Australia. Uh, they pick their team. If we were trying to tell, they were telling us we shouldn't be playing so and so. They say shove off. Should they be playing uh, Ben? You know, Ben. I nearly said Ben Stone. Then, but I, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I'd add a bit to their top three, Bill. No doubt about it. I'm not. I don't qualify. Playing, yeah. Should they be playing Ben Stokes after what he's? You know, Hale's the yeah. same. You just—it's our business to pick, and it's their business. Let them get on with it. I do yeah. think there's a and difference it, though between captaining and playing. It is, but in the end, we can't moralise on that. Unfortunately, Gordon. Were you going to say what? something there? We we you know we going to no, add something no, on Steve it, Smith. Yeah, I believe he should be captain. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to cheat, you've got to cheat well and not get caught. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we should say Fraser. Good luck to someone we had on the show very recently, Ang Harrod James. She'll be in action for the Wales women's football side. They're playing on Friday, aren't they? That's right. Friday and Tuesday, the start of their uh, qualification preparations. It should be caps eighty four and eighty five for Ang Harrod. But no, it, it's a significant week for them actually because new manager Gemma Granger obviously a lot of speculation since Jane Ludlow has gone and who would it be and I think she's a good appointment she's worked in the England setup. she knows a lot of the Welsh players she's got a lot of experience and and Harrod herself seemed very happy spoke up spoke up about the appointment so yeah best of luck to you yeah, definitely. She was, I thought she was a great guest, Ang Harrod, as well, when, when she joined us on the show. She she spoke really well and obviously excited about her move to, to America. That that was excellent. Uh, well, listen, it, it got quite feisty talking about Steve Smith. So we're going to finish the show, uh, I think, reflecting on uh, one of the highlights, I think, of the Six Nations. I don't know, because there were no fans in the ground, the, the TMO just seemed to get more spotlight and more interest this time out. And actually, it was a very good advert for, for TMO, especially in that France-Wales game, I thought. Uh, we just had the Football Internationals last week where there was no VAR at all. VAR wasn't used. And if, if you watch the games, there was no stop-start. When goals were scored, you weren't looking to see if someone's finger was offside mm. or anything like that. So I thought we would finish by talking VAR. And I've got no idea, really, the three of you, what you make of it and where, where this is going to go. So. Uh, let me, let's go to let's go to Bill. I think we we wound him up a bit on Steve Smith. What's your view on VAR and and, and using video in in football and and in rugby as well, Bill? I think it's worked very well in rugby. I watched the Gallagher's uh, matches highlights in the week, and it's fantastically used. You know, the same with uh, Lewis Rees-Samet. You know that try that inverted commas that he almost scored. It clearly showed. In cricket, it's very ponderous, but in general, other than the umpire's decision, and you can have a ball now just touching the bales and he's out, it's used well. Football has, be, has lost its soul because of it almost. I'm in favour of VAR, but they've got to change what the VAR is doing, I think. I've said before, you know, you said about the finger, it's not far off that. Mm-hmm. Someone can be pointing to his, his, his psychic who's setting the ball up to tell him where to put it, and his hand is offside. Now, to me, they've got to sort out something with that. And, you know, some of the penalties I've seen, blimey, Charlie. It's great for online, you know, on the goal line. Is it a goal or not? It's great to show some of the wicked tackles. If you're in doubt, then you can look at them and assess it from that. But they've got to sort the offside out. There's too many offsides now, blimey. You're absolutely right there. Um, Gordon, I'd be interested in your view on, on VAR, mainly because uh, would Bruno Fernandes have had as many penalties for Manchester United if, if we didn't have it? Yeah, definitely, because he's a Manchester United footballer. <laughs> you know, you're guaranteed a penalty wherever ground you go to, to be honest you, if you play... You've had more if you're Old Trafford crowded there. Eh? All jokes aside, Bill has hit the nail on the head. It's 
It's the offside that needs to be clarified. That's why there's so much controversy with the VAR. I believe that a striker should be, um, if he's beyond the defensive line, if he's clearly beyond, not a foot or a finger or a toe, mm-hmm. whatever, if he's clearly in front of it, and I mean daylight, he's offside. If he's just a boot or a finger or a hand, he's onside. If they need to clarify the rule in football, and it would make the VAR work a lot easier, in my humble opinion. Mm. No, I, I think that's a very interesting view, actually. And I think it's the same with some of the penalties that have been given. Uh, it's the handball rule that I think is the problem and not necessarily VAR, because VAR can only mm. call it on what the rule is. And some of the penalties mm. we've seen given have been given, not because VAR have got it wrong, but because the rule is wrong. And um, Fraser, what, what's your view? I, th- I think I think we all agree um, and we could take a different view j- just for the sake of it. But we, we all love football. And I, I think we all agree the, the offside isn't working and needs to be looked at. Yeah. But what I don't think that doesn't mean is that actually there's no place for VAR in football. What's your view? I mean, I think there's two major issues at the moment, and that is the first one is is VAR was brought in, and this was the exact wording now, to rule out obvious error, you know, clear and obvious error. It's clearly not being used in that way, is it? It's scrutinising every little thing down to a T, having endless replays and so on. As Bill said, I completely agree with goal line technology because that's black and white. All right, you know, the watch buzzes if the ball goes over the line. If it doesn't go over, it doesn't buzz. I think that's pretty simple. But the word clarify, which Gordon just used where, I think is equally important to the second problem because we nothing is being clarified with that. The rules have been changed throughout the course of the season, which again, I don't agree with. You know, I, th- I think a competition should start on the same rules and finish on the same rules. So the, the goalposts have been changed, the coin and phrase, literally, as cup competitions and league games are going on. And also, unlike in, when in cricket or, or in rugby, you're hearing the official speaking, right? As a fan, mm. you're getting a clear explanation to the decisions, right? You might not agree, for example, with umpire's call where an umpire can give it out and if someone's shaving the stump, then, then it's given out. You know, some people resent that, but at least you... The boundaries are clear. You know the rules, all right? And, and you're listening to the officials communicate with each other and the decision mm-hmm. is explained. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you're happy or not, it's being explained. We're not getting any of that with VAR. We're getting four or five minutes of sitting, wandering, confusion, while a referee goes over to a monitor. We don't know what he's saying to the guy upstairs. We don't know what the guy upstairs is advising him. And then the referee runs back. We're all waiting to see what he's doing. And by the time he points the spot or he rules out the goal, the whole adrenaline and excitement and the anticipation at the moment is all gone. You know, so the first thing I think they've got to do is, is clarify, is it for clear and obvious error or not? Because that's not the way it's being used at the moment. And secondly, communicate, you know, let people know what's going on and give people a chance to at least understand the process. Because people are giving mm. no chance to understand it all at the moment. And that's, that's to, as Bill said, it's taking the soul out of the game. Bill? I think if you, you know, Fraser's right and Gordon hit it on the head as well. If you look at the rugby, the conversation between the uh, TMO and the uh, referee and his two assistants is brilliant. It's brilliant. I you agree. look at it, Wayne Barnes isn't my favourite referee. First of all, he's English. Secondly, I think sometimes it's about him, not about the game. But you look at his conversations in the recent games in the internationals and in the recent Gallagher games, and you think, that's superb. Everybody in the ground knows what's going on. Everyone on the telly knows what's going on. You can disagree with them, but they talk about it, they look at it, they analyse, and in the end, 
I think 99 times out of 100, they got it right. And football, clear clear, uh, clear evidence is okay, mm. but not some of the things that are being given now is crackers. Mm-hmm. It's taking the spirit out of the game, really, I think. So, Gordon, would you accept, first of all, the question I'll ask the three of you, do you think VAR has got a place in football? Definitely, yes. And, and would you accept then um, changing its use? And would you accept that, we would have to say that that referees do get decisions wrong, so we accept that VAR won't cr- correct everything. Correct, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the same in the rugby. The referee doesn't always get everything right, but no. if he goes to his, uh, you know, to his uh, assistant referee, the TMO, and they discuss what's gone on, uh, whether there's a knock on or there's an infringement, uh, they get to the bottom of it and make a decision together. Mm. And everybody in the ground, as Bill has pointed out, even the players knows exactly what they're talking about and what they, they what decision they're going to come to. And when they come to that decision, everybody accepts it in rugby and they move on. Yeah. Uh, you know that's the difference. It's, Football, yeah. it's just as you said, it's it's taking forever and a day to work out what's going on when there's an offside situation, whether somebody's handled it, you know, used their hands inappropriately for a penalty. There's so many different, um, you know, it, it 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 it's really really confusing. It's yeah. confusing for everybody. I think they need to get the balance right, don't they? At the moment, they haven't got the balance between what should go to VAR and what should be decided by the referee. And yeah. I also think there's an aspect as well. We do, in all forms of sport, we, we do have to allow for human error. You know, and, and these are the top referees who have worked for years and years to get to the very top level of their sport. Yeah. And yet they get to the top level of the sport and having all the responsibility taken away from them. The big decisions are being taken out of their hands, no matter what they think sometimes. If the guy upstairs watching the video has a different view, and that decision gets overhauled. And that's why I think the cricket system is so much better because we're watching these international umpires, the best mm. in the world in their field. And with umpires call, they still have to make a decision. And what they say still influences that decision sometimes, irrespective of what the video says. Mm. So they're still being scrutinised to get calls right under pressure, which is what the best officials in the world should be and what they've worked so hard to get towards. It's yeah. interesting in cricket, actually. I do, I do find it interesting. Yeah, come on, Bill. I think the problem for referees as well is they have to make the decision. And even if they're not, as Fraser says, the person whose reputation is tarnished at the end of the day is rubbish referee. And they're being told, I know, I slightly disagree with Fraser in the sense that they do have the chance to go and look at the monitor. So they can see it in pure time yeah. and slow down. But it needs, if it's a corporate decision with four of them working together, that's the referee, the two assistants and the VAR guy, then at least the decision is shared and it eases the pressure a bit on a referee. And I think that's quite important because Fraser says they're professional, they're, they're paid on results. If they if they fall below par, they're gone, they're toast. So I think, you know, there's a need, there is, like Gordon said, is there a need for VAR? Definitely. Have we got to amend it? As Fraser said, definitely we have to as well. And it's got to be, I think, at the moment, it's all for uh, the defender in terms of what's offside, what's not. Mm. And I think it just needs to have a lot more thought about it and give it on the spirit of it. It'll still create problems because people say, oh, you're giving that, you didn't give that last week when the same thing happened. So it, it's going to be a problem, but it's got to be ironed out. You can't go, go off from mm. having it now. 
what I like about TMO and cricket to an extent is you do hear that thought process that the officials are going through. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what you think about this, um, Gordon. Well, how about referees coming out? And I've always thought, why don't they do interviews after the game? Why don't they explain some of the decisions they made? Make, make referees a little bit more human and, and let's hear the thought process. I, I would think that would be a great idea. Yeah, I agree with you. They never go to the referee to discuss anything that's happened in a match. You never see a referee interview. It's always like a few weeks later they might be able to talk about a certain situation, but they need to be able to be accountable for what they're doing and and listen to the referee, why he's given the decision. And as Fraser said, everybody's human at the end of the day. We all make mistakes. They will make mistakes, but, you know, as if they work in unison as a quartet, uh, they could eliminate a lot of the mistakes that are happening now. And, and I've just said that the offside rule needs to be looked at properly so it gives it a, a bit more... There's no grey area. It's black or it's white, you know, for the offside situation. That would clear up a lot of the mess that is going on. And if there's anything clear, not clear and obvious that's happened inside the box or wherever... They, they can have a look at it and then make a decision on what they see then. But yes, definitely. Bill, were you going to come in? Yeah, I, I slightly disagree with Gordon. I'd love to see referees on, but if it happens, I just think it'll be like Piers Morgan and politicians. <laughs> when you imagine Sunas and Roy Keane and they're going to ask a referee about the game and they're going to hone in on one thing. You can guarantee they will find something because they're playing 100 slow motions and they will tear that referee to shreds mm. about that. And we won't, they won't be talking about the game in general. It'll be one incident or two incidents. And I think referees are, are not going to be keen to do that because they will never show the good decisions they made or very rarely they'll show the bad yeah. stuff. And be like Piers Morgan and his poor... <laughs> Idiot politicians, and and in the end, I think it's it's a problem. But just get it changed. That's but, all. But Bill, locally, locally, we, we've given refs a voice. I mean, PembrokeSport.co.uk. You interview football refs. You talk to cricket refs, don't you? And I think it's great. But we always try to show the good side, and in the end, we're not no, we're not going to interview someone and try and knock them down. In the end, those people like Keane and say those sooners, they're paid to knock people back. That's their role, is to find eccentricities in the game that will have people arguing, and that's yeah. their role. They're, they're hatchet men, not like Gordon yeah. and I, you're a gentleman. No, you're not hatchet men. Yeah. I, I, would, I wouldn't have suggested I, that. I think, though, even at local level, it is sometimes refreshing. You have a few referees when you go in to get team sheets at the start of a game in rugby who will say, if, if you need to speak to any decisions afterwards, come and speak to me. I actually yeah. found that quite refreshing because you don't get that of many. You know, you can get sometimes a bit of an ignorant attitude. They won't speak to you or explain anything at all. And I the first time referee said that to me it was actually in an Nayland match as well play Kevin Nathan in WIFL and I, I thought that was a, a really positive way for a referee to communicate with the press and that way he knows that I'm not going to speculate or write anything about his decisions he's saying look if you're confused about anything come and speak to me afterwards and I'll explain it and I thought yeah. that was very good okay let's finish I'm totally then. in favour of that totally let's finish with why don't we why don't you name some of the best local referees to finish off and maybe we'll have to get, we'll have to get some officials on the show <laughs> Yeah. Oh, they'll come on. Some of them will. Any, any yeah. names are you going to put forward? Some of your favourite officials? How, how far back do you want to go, Ben? <laughs> come on, you, you tell me. Fraser's thinking well, he should name any cricket umpires because he doesn't want any, any dodgy early season decisions. I can, I can remember Hayden decisions. Davis, who was an excellent referee. He was a councillor as well back in the 70s. Eddie Oliver was another good referee. Yeah. Um, excellent referee. Uh, and then we go back 
to more my playing days, you had uh, Die Griffiths, Die the Step Griffiths, they used to call him, because if you, if the, <laughs> there was a law, if a goalkeeper moved more than four steps with the ball in his hand to kick it out, <laughs> that was uh, that was an offence. And uh, Die was very, very eagle-eyed on that. <laughs> Did he used he to give that? Give yeah. free kick. <laughs> so, no, but he, he was a really top referee, uh, fair play. And also uh, Danny, Danny Thomas, I thought Danny was an excellent communicator. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He probably, he probably yeah. didn't talk too much, to be honest with you, but he was a good referee. You knew where you were with Danny. Yeah. Uh, Brian Hawkins was an excellent referee when, when he Top. was uh, refereeing. I, I had often uh, played under Brian and he, 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 he controlled games properly and well. Sean O'Connor is another good referee. He played the game as well and he understood the game. He played, managed and he refereed very well. And so does Bernie Armstrong now because they understand the game. Bernie is a, yeah. a, a really good referee as well. So mm. those are a few from me. Let's let the boys have their say now. So you're never going to stop. Danny Thomas is my favourite character as a referee. <laughs> he would have an MA in bad language because he could swear and he still does now. And the stories about him are legend. And, you know, he would tell me that when Fraser knows Solvers pitch, my Samoa is a steep slope. And Danny was telling me one day that he wasn't allowed to referee there because he was so quick running down the slope that it was a danger he wouldn't be able to stop and have to dive into the sea. And that became a bit of a, a, bit of a legend, you know? He used to say to me things like he was fixing our radiators. He always did that. He was a brilliant plumber. And he never charged me. And we were sitting on a step, on the stairs watching him, Marilyn and I, and we were talking about someone in Pembrokeshire Sport who all these three guys know, so I'm not naming him. And Danny turned to me and he said, the trouble with him, he's got black cat syndrome. And I said, black cat syndrome? What's that? Am I allowed to use a slightly swearish word? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll get the beep button ready. And, okay, yeah, thank you. And I said, what do you mean he's got black cat syndrome? He said, if you had a black cat, he'd have a blacker butt. <laughs> and if you listen to that... You know, he's right. The guy always would trump you. Whatever you said, if you played golf at St. Andrews, he'd had a hole in one at St. Andrews. And in the end, Danny summed that up. Gordon's named some top referees now, and they are there's some very good ones. I mean, Tom uh, Bevan is a cracking referee now. He's refereeing up the line. Mm. Um, and, and throughout the time when Danny Pedder McMullen trained nearly every football referee in Pembrokeshire, yeah. Welsh Willie, he was known as. Uh, he used to go to Patagonia to teach English and teach Welsh to people out there. So uh, there'd been some great characters. Fraser would have come across them. Well, in, I'm just going to finish on. Let, let, can we just finish with, with Fraser as well? Maybe Fraser, as I think you've had the most recent playing career in terms of playing sport out of the panel. Um, when you were playing rugby, what did you look for from a good referee when you were playing for Whitland? It wasn't necessarily playing for Whitland, Bennett. It was playing at any level, to be honest. It was it was just a referee who would talk to both captains and didn't have an ego. Obviously, making good decisions was right, but you met so many referees along the way who had an ego. You felt you couldn't talk to, and uh, I'm not be here a long time if I name names there. And I, tell I think Bill and Gordon have named most of them. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. They well, they've slightly biased. So who is always synonymous with Pembrokeshire refereeing for me, and that's Reggie Jones um, of St David's. The guy, he, he just loved refereeing. He refed us at mini and junior level. He left seniors. He spent the whole weekend refereeing. He was 
he, and he also just loved rugby. He never missed a Welsh Home International. He was going away on tours the whole time. He spent half of those games watching the ref, moaning about him, criticising him or whatever. But, you know, he, he travelled the world. He loved his rugby. And he was just a guy who put everything into it. Just just really loved doing what he did. He took some stick. He had broad shoulders. But um, no, Reggie Jones for me. And I think he's a name that Gordon... I remember Bill Reggie, yeah. As well. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely well, man. I think that's that's taken an interesting turn, and maybe we will have to do a feature on on Pembrokeshire sporting officials at some point. Uh, Gordon, uh, Bill, and Fraser, thank you very much for being with us on Easter Monday. We'll be back again next week, and we'll be back live on the Facebook page as well. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Easter break. Enjoy your company. Uh, Ronnie J is on the way after the nine o'clock news on Pure West Radio. From Pembrokeshire, this is Pure West Radio. With the latest news for Pembrokeshire, I'm Kim Thomas. There were 14 new cases of coronavirus recorded in the Huelvar area according to the figures of Monday, April the 5th. Public Health Wales data show 10 new cases in Carmarthenshire, 3 in Pembrokeshire and 1 in Ceredigion. Across Wales, 189 new cases have been confirmed and 8 new suspected COVID-19 deaths have been reported. The total number of cases in Wales is now 209,816 with 5,519 deaths.